You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. We'll be focusing on this question, what do you do when you're scared? What do you do when you're scared? And it says in verse 26, Jesus said, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed. And all that is in secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. And when I whisper in your ears, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without the father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word and we see how you've told us not to be afraid. And any time we see in Scripture, whether it's an angel telling Mary not to be afraid, or Gideon not to be afraid, or Jesus telling us not to be afraid, it's because we're tempted to be afraid. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word, may we choose faith over fear. When we're scared, I pray that we look unto you. We love you. Fill us with your spirit. Will your spirit speak to us here this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So think of a time, the last time that you were really, truly scared. Now, maybe some of you have been to some of the different scary escape rooms. Maybe you've been in a haunted house before. And um, those really just freak you out. Now, sometimes Christians wonder, like, hey, should we celebrate Halloween? Should we not celebrate Halloween? That's not the point of my message here this morning. And um, there could be an argument for certain things not to celebrate in Halloween. Yeah, probably true. Probably true some of it. But it's also an opportunity for us to witness, to share our faith. And society has always celebrated the harvest in the fall anyway in some form or fashion. And of course, because we're human, we can take something that is uh, good and turn it into evil at times. There's some that, man, they get a little bit, for me, a little bit too much in the Halloween, but... To each, their, uh, to each their own. So we're not really talking about that this morning, but, um, and, and nor am I promoting Halloween here this, uh, this morning and saying you should go to haunted houses or this, that, and the other. But, but these type of haunted houses, they really focus in on some of our different fears in which we have. And there's three basic fears when you get down to it. You have rational fear, you have like, primal fear, and you have irrational fear. You do, all three of those. And man, they love to focus in on this. So let's break these down a little bit. So rational fear. It happens when there is a real intimate danger. If someone points a gun at you, rational fear goes, I don't like this. This is fearful. They have a knife. 
Hey, you don't want to get stabbed. That's very understandable. I remember the first time when I was a, maybe a kid or a teenager, and I went to a haunted house, and I'd never seen it before, right? Growing up on a farm, and I saw someone with a chainsaw in the crowd, and boom, I'm gone. Because chainsaw, chain, cut, I've seen what it, done to, what, what, what it can do to wood. What's it going to do to my leg, right? Not realizing there's no chain on the end. It's not going to hurt you. It's just loud when you hear it coming at you. People still scream and get out of the way because they know, man, that can mess you up. And so the second time I went to a haunted house as a teenager and someone had uh, a chainsaw, I didn't run. Why? Because I knew there was no chain on that chainsaw. It was just loud, maybe a little scary. I didn't like it. But I get it. You know, there's some rational fears. Sometimes there's rational fears about what your children will do. I remember when I was a kid, I was about 10 years old. My brother Matt is two years younger than me. He is eight years old. Brian and Brent were really little, like they're twins. They're four years old. And my mother was out with us at my grandmother's uh, home. And in her subdivision, very nice homes. And um, we were going around and trick-or-treating. And my brother Matt... Um, I'd love to try to convince him to do things I didn't want to do, but I wanted to see happen. And I convinced Matt, and we always talked about it. And we went up to this house, very nice house. And, um, you know, we knock on the door. A man answers the door. And, of course, we're like, trick or treat. And my, I convinced my brother to go trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. If you don't, I don't care. You probably have pink underwear. And he said it. And the man, thankfully, just laughed. He thought it was very funny. My mother did not. She was horrified. And we were warned to never do that again, right? And um, I don't know if uh, we got a good old-fashioned whooping after that. I don't know what happened. I just remember we didn't do it again. That I do know. And um, you never know what your children are going to do. There's primal fear. There's primal fear, which is programmed into our brains. There are certain things that we um, may not quite understand, but, but we may have a reason for it. But, um, you know, fear of spiders or fear of snakes or natural fears. And God wired our brain that way. I don't know if you'd put this in primal or rational, but uh, I watched a video the other day of someone in Japan was climbing a mountainside and a bear attacked him. And he's trying to kick the bear, hit the bear, push the bear down the mountain. He keeps coming. Eventually, the bear leaves. But you can imagine that is something anyone would fear. Then there's irrational fear. Rational fears are the ones that don't make sense logically. And, um, and that can vary from person to person. It could be fear of ghosts, fear of darkness, right? It may make sense to you, but not others. A fear of clowns. I've seen grown men, they see a clown and boom, they are gone. They don't like clowns. I have some, I have some friends uh, in, uh, that are that way. And we know this information and, um, and, and, and these haunt, they know this information as well. And so, man, they act upon that. They try to scare us, to get us freaked out. And um, when we visit those places for, um, that are very attractional. The Bible mentions two specific types of fear, two. One is very beneficial. The one is to our detriment. And the first one type is the fear of the Lord. 
Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, brings, in, brings us security and protection from harm. So there is a fear that does you some good. There's a fear that's going to bring you down. And Zach Williams has a song. Maybe you've heard it. I, I think um, it's been sung here before. And it's a good song. It's not a bad song. But uh, it's called Fear is a Liar. And the fact of the matter is sometimes that's true. But sometimes fear is not a liar. Sometimes there's some good to it. You see, the fear of the Lord, this type of fear, it doesn't mean necessarily to be of just afraid of God, but having a, um, a reverent fear of the Lord. And it is wise to fear the Lord. There's things you should fear about the Lord. And the Bible is very clear, and especially you read Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12. You read how um, that whom the Lord loves, he will chasten. And that word chasten means a couple of different things. It kind of has a dual meaning. It means that um, to train up like an athlete, like getting ready for game day, they're going to practice during the week. They're training. That would be that type. So sometimes the Lord may take you through some difficulty and may even be a little fearful, possibly. I don't know. But he may take you through something and uh, it's to get you ready for something to benefit the kingdom of God, to benefit you and your family, and to spread the gospel. Who knows what that might be? Then, on the other side of that, flip side, the dual meaning of it is that sometimes because as Christians, as children of God, if we decide I'm going to live the way I want, I'm going to sin, I'm going to do things that I know I shouldn't be doing, and sometimes there's a fear that we should have that the Lord brings and he disciplines us. Now, it's not that God's just looking down from heaven trying to find every mistake that we, that every time we mess up, just a gotcha. That's not his purpose, but as a loving heavenly father to guide us to discipline. He loves you enough. In fact, as fathers and as mothers and fathers, if you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. Because a good father... A good mother disciplines her children and tries to bring the right kind of discipline at the right time, right? In different situations, there are some things with your, your kid, they just need grounded for a day, right? There are some things you need to take their phone away or their video games away. And there are some things when they're little, they may need, you know, a, a, an appointment with the Board of Education at times. It just depends what it is. Why do you do that? Because you love them and God loves you. And listen, if you claim to be a Christian and you're living a life neck deep in sin and you think it's all good and nothing's happening to you, my friend, either something's getting ready to happen to you because God loves you or simply you really don't know Christ and you're lost because the scripture is clear whom the Lord loves, he will chasten. This is a fact of it. And we should have a healthy fear of God. It's up there kind of like this. We get a little glimpse of this when you're home, right, as a kid, and you were acting up, and you weren't afraid of your mother any longer, and your mother whips out the old saying, the quote, wait until your father gets home. I love my father. I respected my father. Still do. When my mom said, wait till your dad gets home, it carried some weight because I knew more than likely I might just get the belt, and I did not want the belt. And listen, I'm not saying, you know, what you do with your, your kiddos, but um, in the house I grew up, we had a paddle and we had a belt. We weren't abused, but that's what my parents did. And everyone I got, guess what? Deserve. I deserved. It was good for me. 
In fact, I would say it keeps you, you don't go to therapy because of it. It probably keeps you out of therapy more than anything else. Now, maybe you had a bad experience in that. I don't want to minimize that either because there's things that can't happen. But man, the Lord loves you. And there needs to be a healthy fear of God. And if you really are a Christian, it should be in the back of your mind that you should fear God because of what he might do. As a loving parent, amen? So he's not trying. He's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He really does. And there's times that in our lives that we may think we can just do whatever we want. It's not true. I remember when I got my driver's license and my mother um, talked to me and said, Lucas, you're going to have your, you have your job, you have your driver's license and you're going to be driving and you're going to have opportunities to do whatever you want without me knowing. And I'll never, I may never know, but I want you to know something. I know you're saved. I know you're a Christian and wherever you go, God will know. And he can discipline you far better than I could ever discipline you because he he even loves you more than I love you. Here's your keys. But I remember that. And listen, the fact that you fear God should be the first thing that when it comes to the question should never be, well, will my spouse find out? Will my father or my mother find out? That should be secondary. I'm not saying that doesn't matter. It does. But the first thing should be, well, God, what does he think about this? Am I offending God? Am I hurting my relationship with the Lord? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit, who is God, who lives inside of us? Am I grieving him? That means you fear God. And the second questions are then, what does my spouse think? What, is, what are my parents going to think? Those do matter, no question. But man, but what happens and gets a lot of trouble is, is, man, you end up focusing so much on what your wife thinks when you really should be focused on what God thinks first. And wives, vice versa. Amen? That's what you should be thinking. And it will determine how you live and what you do. It is wise to fear the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord brings with it many blessings and benefits. It is, it, scripture says in Psalms 111, it is the beginning of wisdom and leads to good understanding. Only fools despise wisdom and discipline, according to Proverbs chapter 1. And furthermore, as we see, the fear of the Lord leads to life, to rest, to peace, to contentment. Scripture says in Proverbs 14, you get a lot of this in Proverbs, it is a fountain and, uh, and, and life and provides a security and a place of safety for us. I think it's wise to fear the Lord. And we've lost in our country a little bit, maybe a lot, of the fear of the Lord. Even in some of our churches, it'd be wise to fear God. You see, and Jesus is saying to us, don't fear what is temporary. Rather, fear what is going to affect your eternity. Jesus puts fear in perspective when he said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body or soul and body in hell. He was calling to the attention to the fact that oftentimes we fear what is temporary rather than what is eternal. And Jesus brought up hell. Hell was originally made for Satan and his, the fallen angels, which we would call demons. It wasn't made for people, but it's there. And part of coming to Christ, and not necessarily out of fear, 
But that is a part of it, of realizing that when we die, there is a heaven, there is a hell. You will go to one of those two places. There is no purgatory. That is something made up um, by the Catholic Church, to be blunt, and um, that you don't see in the Bible. And Jesus made it clear there is a hell, there is a heaven, and you will go to one of those two places when you die. And say, but, but man, it's just being driven by fear. It's just a fact. It's the truth. And in fact, when it comes to God, God's truth should bring some fear, a reverent fear. Now, some people today who have claimed Christianity and some will decide to what they call deconstruct. Either they feel too guilty or too shameful and they want to do what it's a to me, it's a nice way of saying I really just want to do what I want and I'm done listening to God. And they try to justify it however they can. In their minds. And some people, some people go, you know what? I don't believe in hell anymore. And I just feel a relief. You are an eternal soul. And one day your body will die, but your soul will not. You will live forever. And some have the mindset that I'm just going to die and it'll just be utter darkness and I won't remember anything anymore anyway. So what's the big deal? You just get one life, right? YOLO. And I'm just going to live it and do what I want. But no, no, no. You are a soul, and that soul will live forever, and it will go to one of two places, and God loves you enough to show you the way, and Jesus is the way. You know what the early church was called? They weren't called Christians. Eventually, those really non-believers in the book of Acts called them Christians. They were called the way. Go check it out. See, that sounds kind of arrogant. That sounds kind of conceit. If it's the way, my friend, it's the way. And Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the good news. Is that the difference between warranted fear and unwarranted fear is, is, is important. You see, when God uses fear, it's based on truth. Amen? When Satan uses fear, it's based in lies. And he loves to feed us lies. Now, either there is a hell, is a truth, or it's a lie. There is a heaven, it's either a lie or it's the truth. And man, you are gambling with a lot with your life. There is no more second chances after this life of going, you know what? I guess I was wrong, God. Can you let me in? Not working that way. You get this life to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And God's fear is based on truth. And Satan, man, it is based in lies. And so when Jesus spoke in hell in fearful ways, it's because he wanted us to know it was a fearful place to be. Now, some will argue back and forth sometimes in theology, well, maybe there's different levels of hell. Maybe there is. Maybe there are certain parts of hell that aren't that bad. You got like Hitler down here and you got like, you know, kind of good people up here. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, the Bible is pretty clear. There's flames and some try to minimize that. This is what I know about hell. It's a place you don't want to go. And Jesus and God's presence is not there. At least here on earth, you get to experience a little bit of heaven, a glimpse of heaven. You get a little bit of the goodness, the blessings, the overflow because of what Christ has done and how he ble- the Lord blesses even in, in different countries in the world. We get a little overflow. We get to experience it. In fact, for the unbeliever, the best that you could ever have, that you could ever imagine, that you could make up on your own is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. For the believer, for the Christian, the worst day you could ever have here on earth is the closest you'll get to hell. And there should be a reverent fear. 
And Jesus warned us. And so, is fear a liar? Sometimes. The devil will use fear rooted in deceit to try to get our eyes off the author and the finisher of our faith. He did the same thing with Adam and Eve. He don't do the same thing with you. What do you do with Adam and Eve? You try to say, man, did God really say that? And really, at the heart of it, he really was trying to make them think, you know what? God's really holding out on you. God's not really protecting you. And it concerns me a little bit. When we see, not all, but some people who've grown up in our church, they leave here, they find someone they love, and they do exactly what the world does. And they, they start living together without being married. And they pretend like everything's good and cool. Like, man, if you really know Christ, do you think... I mean, I want God's blessing on my marriage. I want God's blessing on my family. You are being very, very foolish if you're a Christian and you think you're going to go, and I'm using an old term technology, uh, uh, terminology that I, I just heard growing up, shacking up is what it's called, right? Of living with somebody, and the Bible is very clear on this. I want, you, I want to give you a warning, okay? I say this in love. If that's your mentality and what you plan on doing, you're going to miss out on some of the blessings God has for you. You are. And here's the good news, too, is that maybe that's something you have in your past. I'm thankful God forgives. Amen. He forgives and you make that right. But, man, it breaks my heart a little bit when people know better and they are raised in church. You're missing a blessing. You're missing a blessing of doing it God's way. There's the world's way in thinking, and there's God's way. And let me tell you something. When you've been raised in church, and you you decide deliberately to do those things, this is more than one instance, you are simply saying you do not fear God. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. I'll move on. So when we do not fear God, we'll eventually will eventually fear everything else. You watch. Whether it's a nation, a family, an individual, when we do not fear God, we'll eventually fear everything else. The second type of fear that is mentioned in the Bible is not beneficial at all. It is the spirit of fear. And in fact, I would say if we ignore the first fear of having a fear for the Lord, we easily get into this category right here and we live in it. In fact, I would say there's a cause and effect here. There's, there, there really is. If there's no fear of God, and we're not doing things his way as a believers in the family of God, man, this type of fear more than likely is going to rule, rule your life. You see it. You see it. This is what it says. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of Sound mind. And so this spirit of fear does not come from God. Sometimes we are afraid, and sometimes the spirit of fear overcomes us. Fear has a, has a close cousin named anxiety. And it's an umbrella term used to refer to varying degrees of worry and fear. And we're all tempted to worry. We're all tempted to fear at times. We all have been there. And, and if you're new here and you're watching, you're here, and 
we're not going to go completely over anxiety again, but we spent two whole weeks in this series on it a couple weeks ago, and you can check it out online if you'd like. But it stems from uncertainty, hoping something will happen, but having not guaranteed that it will. And if you remember when we went through Elijah, talked about Elijah last week in depression, what was the one thing Elijah feared? It was dying. He feared that wicked woman Jezebel was going to kill him. And guess what? The one thing he feared the most never even happened. If you read the rest of the story, God said, I'm going to save you, Elijah, for something else later. And a chariot of fire came down and swept him up and he was gone. And Elisha continued and started a new ministry. The one thing he feared. Man, interesting how that works sometimes. But anxiety can become so intense that it dominates a person's thoughts and feelings and actions. And they can be doing normal activities. And then, boom, an anxiety attack just takes over or a panic attack. And, it's, um, and, and they're sudden. It's said that panic attacks are considered um, fear that is out of control. Interesting. So let me ask, what makes you panic? What makes you fear? What gives you anxiety? There's something that each of us has inside our, inside our brain called the amygdala, which is, which is a, you know, a, a true f- fight or flight in, in those situations. It, uh, the amygdala is our, well, it's our best friend. It helps us get away from danger or fight. It, man, we get an adrenaline rush. And, um, and we, we need the amygdala. It's, it's important. But um, you have another portion of your brain that um, helps you as well. That helps when things get a little confusing. It's a little more rational. It's called your prefrontal cortex. And so it's very logical. Think of your amygdala as your twitchy, amped up, over-caffeinated, stimula- overstimulated, always on the edge, high blood pressure cousin. And then think of your prefrontal cortex as your uh, level-headed, realistic, even-tempered uncle um, who has a law degree, you know, right? You have those two types of family members. So uh, imagine that you hear a noise in the middle of the night and your amygdala screams, there's someone in the house. Someone's here to kill you. And your prefrontal cortex like, calm down. It's just the dog. The dog's not in the kennel or a dog made a noise in the kennel or just calm down. It's one of your kids sneaking some snacks. Don't go Rambo in the house, like simmer down. But your, pre, your, your amygdala starts to freak out. Oh, no, no, no. Someone is in the house. Someone's out to get you. And then your prefrontal cortex says, no, just chill out. It's probably just a normal noise or the refrigerator or the compressor in the refrigerator is making a weird noise. The air conditioner is, you know, acting up. But the... But, Your amygdala, though, it it really gets going at times. It's like, get out of here. Get out the window. But your prefrontal cortex goes, what about the wife and the kids? And your amygdala goes, who cares? Get to safety. They'll be all right. But your prefrontal cortex is like, don't be a coward. You're the man of the house. You're to protect them. Like, you need to help them out. And, like, you got the both sides of the brain going back and forth. And they're firing. And that's what you have going on. Remember a story hearing about. A couple that had been married 50 years. Like every week it seemed that the wife was nudging the husband. Of like, here's something downstairs. And he'd have to go downstairs in the middle of the night and look around with the flashlight. Well, one fateful night, 
she hears something, and sure enough, he goes down there, and um, he sees the robber. And he's like, oh, praise God. And like, the robber just stopped. And he's like, my wife's been waiting for you for 50 years. <laughs> God, that she, he was finally there. But we had this logical part. We had this other, you know, irrational part of our brain. So what do we do? And that irrational part, man, it can take over. And that's why we've seen the last couple of weeks where we're told in Scripture to focus and to take every thought captive. So here's some, I guess you could say, some ways that we can do that. Some things that help filter out some of the craziness going on, the crazy thoughts that we might have. And it's not a sin to have a thought. It's what do we do with that thought, right? What do we do with that action? And that could cover a lot of bases for different things and temptations that we deal with, right? And even Jesus was, was tempted. And so what do we do here? So here's number one. Focus on faith instead of fear. Oh, my goodness, that sounds very cliche. But sometimes there's a lot of truth in those things that are cliche. What will you focus on? You, you have a choice. What will you focus on? Will you feed your fear or will you feed your faith? It's an important question. It's an important question. What will you feed? Because you'll feed one of them. That amygdala either is going to go off or you're going to listen to it, man, or that prefrontal cortex and the Holy Spirit who's given to us. What will you feed? You see, we should rather focus our concerns on having that right relationship with the Lord. He has promised to meet all of our needs according to Scripture. We see here, even in Matthew 10, that God cares about the sparrows. Now, if God cares about the birds, if he knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows all about those things, just how, how important are you to him? And you might think, the God of the universe, why would he care just about me? I'm just a nobody. I'm the... no, no, no. You're a child of God, and you're one of his children. He cares greatly about you. He knows everything about you. Everything you say, everything that you, you even think, and yet he loves you. He loves you. He knows your family. He knows your, your, your worries, your care. He knows all of it, and he loves you. He cares. And so one way that we can focus uh, <clears throat> on what is important is by applying what Scripture says, like Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. I mean, if you're trying to figure everything out, there's some things God gives you. He doesn't want you to figure out. It's for him to figure out. It's for him to take care of. And this is what we see in Scripture. The truth is that perfect love casts out fear. And the Bible repeatedly admonishes God's people not to fear. From Mary, right? And when God says, I mean, don't fear, it's because we are so tempted to fear. Satan is the father of lies and the deceiver of the whole world. And when we are told any lie, it is of Satan. And there's no truth in him. And he loves to give fake news. He loves to muddy the waters. That's what he does. Here's the second one. Focus on God's forgiveness instead of Satan's lies. And when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because it's not good for him. But he loves to, he wants you to think, you know what? Yeah, you say you got saved. You said you're following Jesus. You, you know the truth that God's word says you're forgiven. And that our sins are as far as from the east, from the west. It's buried like in the bottom of the sea. Like God's forgiven it. He's forgotten it. He's moved on. But man, sometimes we have a hard time moving on. 
He wants you to think God can never use you because of your past. He'll never forgive you. It's simply a lie. Focus on God's forgiveness and what he's done for you. Here's the third one. Focus on the truth of God's word to discern my feelings. Don't miss this. Your feelings are indicators. They should never be your dictator. Your feelings do matter. God gave you feelings. No question. But you need to remember what God has promised you, especially when things get out of control. When times are good, it's easy to talk about God's faithfulness. When things are good, it's easy to go, man, God is good. But in life, in life, things happen. And this world is not our home. Sometimes Christians have evil things happen to them, and we don't know why. God does. I'm going to trust in him. Our bodies eventually start falling apart. Kids get cancer. Oh, I don't know why. We don't get it. I don't either. But God's still good. He's faithful. And just to praise him when things are going well, but what about when things don't go well? That's when our feelings should not be decided just on our feelings alone, but it should be decided about what is good and evil by the word of God. Our discernment of right and wrong should be rooted firmly in the truth of God's word. We know that Jesus' death was sufficient to cover our sins because, well, God said so. We know that we shouldn't be scared to meet God because Christ gave us his righteousness. We know that God will not stop loving us and there's nothing that could ever separate us from his love according to scripture. Here's the last one and I'll be done. Focus on Jesus, our bread of life. There is a spiritual hunger in every human heart. And an eternal hunger in the human soul that can never be satisfied with anything else other than Jesus, the bread of life. The world wants to satisfy your body. Jesus wants to satisfy your heart. The world wants you to focus on what will eventually die, but Jesus wants you to focus on what will never die. Think about how bread is made for a moment. The process begins when grain is planted in the field. Upon ripening, it must be cut down, grounded in the flour, and made into dough. Then, before it can become bread, it has to be passed through. It has to pass through the oven, the fire of the oven. And Jesus was appointed as a seed in the womb of a virgin. He was born into this world and grew up completely sinless. And when he was ripe, at the height of his ministry, he was cut down, put through the fire of the oven of God's wrath into the shape of a cross. But when it came, when he came out of the the empty tomb, he came out as a finished bread of life. After World War II, many men and women had been killed during the war in Europe. And Europe had a huge problem. They had a ton of orphans. So they made these camps. They made these homes for these orphans. They gave them food. They gave them water. They gave them bed. They gave them clothing. But the workers noticed 
how fearful they were, how anxious they were at night. They had a hard time sleeping. They talked about it. What can we do to make these children feel safe? What can we make them, what can we do to make them feel like they're cared about, that they're loved? And they tried this. When they went to bed, they gave them a loaf of bread. They gave them, they gave them bread. And that way, when they went to sleep, there was a couple of things that they knew. This is what it gave to them subconsciously. It let them know that they had security, that there was safety. It made them feel that there was, their life was meant something, that somebody cared about them. Holding the bread also gave them a sense of satisfaction. There will be more bread tomorrow. And those things are what those children needed and what every person needs. And we're born with this spiritual hunger. And the only thing you're going to find in this life that's going to satisfy that hunger that, that you have in your heart and your soul is the bread of life. It is Jesus. It is him. You're not going to find it in anything temporal. You're not going to find it. Maybe you're watching or you're here and you've never accepted Christ. Why not accept him this morning? Maybe you're here and you're saved, but quite frankly, you're chasing at you're chasing after everything that is just temporary, that's temporal in this earth. And you know the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you to focus on the bread of life. And you're struggling. Fear is overwhelming you. Panic attacks are happening in your life and you're wondering, what should I do? It's time to come to the bread of life. I think one of the most spiritual things you could do if you're struggling is to get in God's word in your area of struggle and memorize it. As the word of God says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. I wonder how much of our anxiety would go away. How much of our fear would dissipate. If we memorize the word of God. Let us pray. As our eyes were closed, if you're here, you're watching, say, Pastor Lucas, I would like to become a Christian. It's time for me to stop playing games with God. It's time for me to get serious. Pray with me. Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, save me. If you prayed that, if you prayed that this morning, if you're watching, let us know. Send us a message. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor Lucas, I'm giving my life to Christ. Will you raise your hand high in the air? Don't be ashamed. Show it to the Lord. Raise your hand high in the air. Say, Pastor Lucas, I'm giving my life to Jesus this morning. Say, Pastor Lucas, I'm struggling. Whatever area it is, maybe it's with fear, maybe it's with anxiety, maybe it's with something else. Maybe you're so focused on the temporal, man, you've just... 
you realize trying to do things your own way is just it's not working and you realize it's time preacher it's time for me to get things right with the lord i'm saved but man pray for me pastor will you raise your hand show it to the lord i just want to pray for you i see that hand amen amen god we love you we praise you and i'm thankful for your love that you have for us may we keep our eyes focused on jesus the bread of life the bread only bread that can satisfy in jesus name we pray and everyone said amen no events tonight no awana We'll have those back next Sunday. God bless you all. Have a good week.